So we've been, we've been going through a, a teaching series the last couple of weeks called Let Down. The subtitle was Dealing with Disappointment. And last week we, sorry, two weeks ago we looked at when, how you deal with it when other people let you down. Last week we looked at what you do when you feel God's let you down. And this morning I want to go in a slightly different direction because I want to look at this. How can we take strides towards doing the best we can to be the people who encourage others, not discourage others? So I call this morning's teaching Positive People 101. I was, uh, I was reading something the other, the other day and it said, stay away from negative people. They have a problem for every solution. Ain't that the truth? Sometimes people say to me, how, how do you manage to stay so upbeat? And let's tell the truth, I'm not always upbeat, all right? I do my best to leave everything else behind me on a Sunday morning as I, as I, as I teach God's Word. I'm not always upbeat. Ask my wife. But I guess I am pretty positive overall. And, and some, sometimes folks say to me, how do you manage to stay so positive? And I'm going to tell you the truth. Look, look, positive people do have negative thoughts but they do their utmost not to camp out there. Positive people do have negative thoughts, but they do their utmost not to camp out there. You know, Christmas Eve will be our fifth anniversary of actually doing services in this building. So it was ready, and we did our first service here on Christmas Eve in 2013. And as many of you know, you've heard me say, leading up to that, we had a fascinating mobile history doing church in a number of different places and uh, over the years having a lot of changes and, and sometimes a place we outgrew a place, sometimes it was no longer available for us and, and it seemed as if there was constant transition and every transition presented challenges. So you find a place and say, yeah, we can do it, but how does this work in this property? How does that work? How can we do this? And, and the, the number one question really was always, is there storage? Because we had so much equipment. Where can we store our stuff? And way back in the early years when we were using the Crystal Swan as it was then, Catering Hall on 112, mostly you notice spectrums from your misspent youth. Um, when we were doing church there, we kept stuff there. But when we left there to move into Patchog Medford High School, there was no storage space. And someone said to me, so um, we can't go there then. There's no storage space. And I said, yep, we're going to find a solution. Well, what's your solution? I said, we're going to buy a trailer. And uh, we're going to put all of, we didn't have much stuff back then. <laughs> we're going to put all of the stuff in a trailer. And uh, we'll offload the trailer every Sunday morning. Where's the trailer going to live? It, on a piece of property. Well, you can't leave all the stuff out there. That's impossible. That can't happen. You know, all the electrical stuff, the electronic stuff, you can't leave it out there through the winter, through the summer. You know, that's not going to work. And I said, in, in the end, I said, look, please, don't tell me the problem. I know the problem. If you've got a solution, tell me the solution. But otherwise, please, negative people can so drag us down if we're not careful, right? So with that in mind, it would be good for us to do everything we can 
to be positive people? How can we be encouragers? How can we be people who lift others up? I mean, we all know the phrase, you know, I see the glass half full, you see it half empty, you see it. It's like, let's get a grip and start working towards being those who can lift other people up, encouragers of others. And, and I want this morning to go to a, a, a character in the New Testament, a man who's there and he's kind of prominent for a brief period, then he seems to disappear from the scene. But because of who he is and what he does, he is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. He's a man by the name of Barnabas. And I want to point out four things to you that I learned from the life of Barnabas. And I realize now that some of you are taking bets on whether I'll get to all four, okay? I, I realize that. But I'm going to do my utmost, all right? There are four things I learned from Barnabas. The first is this. Positive people live beyond themselves. Positive people live beyond themselves. They're not just concerned about their own selves, their own well-being, and what affects them. Our introduction to Barnabas comes in the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the disciples called Barnabas, right? That wasn't his real name. But they nicknamed him Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So, so here's Barnabas. The, the whole idea of that phrase, it was one that was well used in Bible times, son of, kind of means that you're the epitome of it. Do you ever sometimes look at a child and say, hey, it's easy to see who her father is, poor kid, right? It's, but, but, you know, it's, it's like because they're, and, and Barnabas was called the son of encouragement because it's like he was the very living personification of encouragement. That's how he was wired. And our first introduction to him is here in Acts chapter 4 when it says he had some land, he sold it, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, that in itself suggests that Barnabas was a man who lived beyond himself. But I, I want to just fill in a little bit of the background to that event and to what led up to it to show you its specific significance. What was happening in that time in Acts chapter 4, it was not too long after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And actually at that time, being a follower of Jesus was not popular in some quarters, particularly with the people who had had the power to put Jesus to death. It was only weeks before that they had seen their master die the most horrific and agonizing death. And then in Acts 4, it tells us that Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' key followers, were arrested after they healed a man. And when they were arrested, they were hauled before the same leaders that Jesus had been brought before some weeks earlier. And there's no question whatever what those leaders would have wanted to do with, with Peter and John. They'd have liked to do the same with them that they did with Jesus. The, the only problem was... There was a whole buzz around the city of Jerusalem now because there were thousands of people who'd become followers of Jesus. And the other thing was that the one that they had crucified, 
the word was that he had risen from the dead. And nobody had been able to say anything opposite to that. Trust me, if they could have, they would have. If they could have found something to prove this was a hoax, this was cleverly engineered, he didn't really rise from the dead, if they could have done it, they'd have done it. In fact, if they couldn't have found any dirt on Jesus, they'd have made it up. Please stop the political commercials on TV. But they'd have done that stuff to Jesus because they were so against him, but they couldn't. If they could have disproved the resurrection, they'd have done that. But there were so many proofs that Jesus had risen from the dead. Hundreds of people had actually seen it. So when Peter and John are hauled before these people, there is a little hesitancy. So here's what it says they did to them, Acts 4.18. It says they called them in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, the advantage we've got is we know the end of this story, and we're going to go there in a moment. The disadvantage Peter and John had was they didn't know the end of the story. And, and, and my mind goes to the fact, you know, like if I was them, and, and if I was them, there'd still be a part of me that was really scared at this point, right? Because I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to order us to be crucified. I don't know if this is the end for us. I don't know if we're going to be beaten. They did not know what was coming. So they called them out, and they said, look, here's the deal. Just don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, you know something? I guess if you're offered a deal from that by the people in authority, I guess you take the deal, no? I was in court a couple of weeks ago. Hear me out. I had been driving a little faster than I should have done. Okay? Okay, now, now, okay, now I, I seriously am not encouraging anyone to drive faster than they should do. Um, but Jill and I were out for a drive. It was her birthday. We were going to drive out east. And, um, you know, people who are my age realize when you're plotting a journey, there's two things you work out your route and you work out where you can stop. I'm not talking for coffee, okay? So, all right, so you young people got no idea, but it will come. Um, so I needed to stop. The road was clear. It was a beautiful day. I was driving fast. I was not watching my speed. I was desperately looking for the exit sign. Uh, then there's a flashing light behind me, and I pull over, and they get me, and I was driving very fast. So I go to court. I go to court, and then they tell me to stand there just, just before an attorney, and an attorney will sort it out. So I stand there, and they're, they're calling everyone up. And then it's my turn. She says, what's your name? I said, Reverend. <laughs> if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> Reverend Roger Blackmore. <laughs> so she looked at the sheet. She said, you were driving very fast. I said, I was a pastor with a problem. I needed to get off the highway. <laughs> so she said, she said, well, we're willing to plea that down to a parking offense, which will give you no points on your license, but the fine will be more than it would be for a parking offense. What do you think? I said, I am grateful to take whatever you offer. Thank you. Right? right? I'm not going to stand there and say, no, I think you can do better than that. I'm not going to do that. We can plead, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to argue. 
So here are Peter and John before the same people who got Jesus crucified, and these people say to them, here's what we want. Here's what we want you to do. What we want you to do is we want you to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, all right? And you know, when you're pulled out of a jail cell and they give you some conditions for your freedom, you know what? I'd be saying, yes, sir, thank you very much. I'm pretty cool with that. You know what they said? Here we go, ready? But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? Peter, shut up. So which is right? Listen to you or listen to God? He said, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That was a high-risk response. They didn't know what was going to come next, but they were freed. And here's what the Bible says. It says, when they came back to their fellow believers, they all prayed together. Verse 29 of Acts 4. Here's how they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats. So here's what they're saying. Lord, they're threatening us. That's your problem. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know what they did there? They committed to God what was out of their control. And they asked for God's help in pursuing what they could control. God, if you'll take care of their threats, help us to be brave enough to speak your word. However way you slice it, that must have been a traumatic couple of days for Peter and John. And it is in that context that the Bible tells us that Barnabas, who owned a piece of land, sold it, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, it must have been a significant piece of land because otherwise, you know, they wouldn't have made a point of it and why mention it there in, in, in the Scripture. So, it must have been a significant piece of land. It must have been a significant piece of money, uh, amount of money. But, but, but here's the thing. Peter and John have been through a traumatic experience, and I'm looking beyond the amount that Barnabas brought to the act of him bringing it and suggesting what Barnabas was doing there was making a statement and saying, guys, we know you've been through a tough time, and we know you're taking flack for leading us, but I want you to know that I am with you, and I believe in you, and here's something to prove it. I like that. He was the one who brought them encouragement, and in that case, his encouragement came in a very practical way, because positive people live beyond themselves. A number of years ago, I used to uh, volunteer Saturdays, and there are some folks here who did the same, and we used to help a homeless ministry uh, feeding the homeless on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And uh, there was a period of time when, when we were doing that when there was a young woman from Jersey who used to come over and volunteer and help as well. Um, she was a Marine. She reminded me of that because at one day I referred to the fact that she used to be a Marine. Yeah, right? Yes, once a Marine, always a Marine, she told me. I remember her distinctly because, Vicky, we used to take vanfuls of food in from a, from a, a warehouse on the island here, and uh, Vicky would always insist in offloading the vans, and I had a lot of arguments with her. I said, you don't do that. 
She said, why don't I do that? I said, because women don't lift if there's a man there to do it. Right? That was my thing. I offload the vans. You don't do it. To which she replied, if I'm a half your age, I do it. <laughs> Play the age card. <laughs> For a number of years now, Vicky has headed up a ministry she started in Jersey, which helps people that are self-abusers who cut themselves and with, a, you know, with all kinds of different issues and addictions. And uh, it's called Launching Point. And a couple of months ago, she had put on Facebook that they had to move out of the little place they were renting, and they really wanted to get into a, a bigger space to accommodate the ministry. And uh, we're not talking huge space, but we, uh, and she had said, if anybody can help us with this, because, you know, we, we have very limited resources. So I sent her a message and said, Vicki, how much do you need to get into this? She said, we need, we're trying to raise $1,500 to get into the building. I said, uh, we'll send you the check. You'll have it in two days. Amen. Then I called Charlotte because I was in Scotland. <laughs> I said, is there $1,500 in the missions account? <laughs> and there was. You know why? Because you are people who live beyond yourselves. <laughs> because you are people. They live beyond you. Some of the people we're able to help you'll never see. Some of the ministries you'll never experience. But what a fantastic place to be in. And, and, and you know, to me, to me, it wasn't just, you know, it, it wasn't the money to, to me so much. It was to be able to say to Vicky, look, we believe in you. We value what you're doing. And we want to encourage you to keep going forward. That's what it was really about. And we need to be people who can see beyond ourselves to see when other people need lifting up and when other people need encouragement. Positive people live beyond themselves. And that's how we're introduced to Barnabas. So that's his beginning. The second thing I learned from the life of Barnabas is this, that positive people don't dwell on the past. Let me give you a little bit more Bible background here for, for a moment, and I want to give you a bit of background, then I want to bring you up to speed where Barnabas fits in. In the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, it tells us about the most remarkable conversion, perhaps, in the New Testament, the conversion of a man named Saul, who was an absolute opponent of the early church, who made it his business and thought he was pleasing God by doing it because he was a strict Jewish believer, or Jewish, strict Jew, and... Um, he thought he was doing God a favor. He would have believers put in jail. He would hunt down Christians and have them sentenced to death. And, and, and he, he uh, had come to a place where he had done a lot of damage in Jerusalem. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to go some other place. I'm going to go to the city of Damascus. I'm going to see if I can find any of these Christians there. And I'm going to arrest them. And we'll bring them in chains back to Jerusalem. And we'll punish them. And on his way to Damascus, a, light, a bright light shines from heaven so strong that it knocks him off his horse. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul looks up and says, who are you, Lord? And the answer comes back, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus that you're persecuting. And Saul became a believer in Christ on the road to Damascus. He went into the city. He was helped there by a believer 
But then there came a point where there were people who were after him now. And so he had to secretly overnight escape from the city of Damascus. And he made his way back to Jerusalem. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing he really was a disciple. Hello? He had left here as the person who killed Christians. Now he's coming back saying, hey guys. Surprise! I'm a Christian too now. He's like, yeah, right. But Barnabas, hello, the son of encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. But Barnabas took the risk of listening to Saul's story. He later became Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a great deal of the New Testament. He stayed with him long enough to hear his story. He believed his story, and then he connected him with others. Positive people don't dwell on the past. Where Saul had been was where he had been. But Barnabas accepted him for where he was right now. I remember a couple of years ago, it might have been now, there was a, a couple that I, that I know who were worshiping with us, and they, they, they were, they're part of another church on the island, um, but they were here one Sunday morning. And then after service was over, the lady said to me, I got a real shock this morning. I said, what was that? She said, I saw, and she mentioned a person in the service. I said, yeah, he comes regularly. And she said, I would never, ever have expected that he would be in church. Because you know what? God changes people. God turns people around. Heck, there's an awful lot of us here this morning who never saw ourselves in church. Tell the truth, right? Right? But God got a hold of our lives. And when we look at other people, we've got to do our utmost not to look at the past. And when you know where people have been, sometimes it's hard to accept them for where they are now and where they could be. But positive people don't condemn others to the condition in which they first knew them or once knew them. Jesus was asking his disciples in Matthew's gospel, he said, what are people saying about me? He was curious. And they said a bunch of different things. And then, then he said, but, but what do you say about me? And, and Peter said to him, he said, he said, you're the Christ. In fact, it says there, sorry, it says in that verse, it says, Simon said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you are blessed you are now Peter, which means a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. People like you are going to be very significant in the development of my church. Jesus didn't see Simon anymore. He saw a rock. God sees the potential in every one of us, and we need the grace of God to see the potential in one another. I read a great phrase when I was reading a book in the summer, and I might have mentioned it here before. The phrase is this, when you're, when you're dealing with other people, speak to the king and not to the fool. 
Speak to their potential, not to their stupid. Because the truth is, I saw this phrase the other day, I like it. Wisdom is a sign that we overcame our own stupidity. Speak to the king. See the potential in people. See the possibility in people. Never forget what God has done for you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says this. Don't you realize this is not the way to live? So he's talking about a bunch of things. Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens of God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience, here's the deal, right? A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. Let's never forget that without the grace of God, we'd still be where God found us and maybe way worse off still. But because of the grace of God, God has drawn us to himself. God has owned us as his children. God is in the process of remolding us. God is cleaning us up. And what we need to do is we need to be encouragers of others who are on the same journey. Positive people don't dwell in the past. Don't dwell on the past of where somebody was, but see the potential of where they can be in Christ. Positive people live beyond themselves. They don't dwell on the past. Then the other thing, the next thing I want to say is this. Positive people don't view others as competitors. Our insecurities can play such havoc with us, can't they? Okay, I assume you all answered yes internally to that, but that's fine. That's fine. As long as you fessed up to yourself, that's what really matters. But they can. Our insecurities can play havoc with us. And, and the next time we see Barnabas is in Acts chapter 11, Acts 11 and verse 20. Some of them... Men from Cyrus and Cyrene went to Antioch. This, talks, this was talking about the setup where a lot of the believers left Jerusalem and went to other places. So some of them went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. At that point, everything was centered in Jerusalem with Jewish people. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, now here's the situation. The situation is the bigwigs are in Jerusalem, okay? The apostles, the ones who were with Jesus from the beginning, and they are the ones who lead this big church in Jerusalem. But then all of a sudden, they hear there are these guys from here and there who ended up in Antioch, and they're preaching, and we don't know who they are, and we didn't give them credentials. And they're preaching to Gentiles, and we don't do that. 
And word is that there's a lot of people who are coming to faith in Jesus, but how can it be? Because we didn't ordain them. And so they say, we need to check this out. And the person they sent to check this out was Barnabas, which is a good thing because Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And here's what it says next there in Acts. It says, when he arrived and saw the grace and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. Look at the next words. And encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It's possible, you know, in church circles to get full of ourselves and arrogant and almost to look on other churches, it's like competition. How many people do you have in church today? Because you, you can't wait to tell them we have more. And that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, one of the reasons we're doing our live Tuesday nights over the next few weeks is I want some of you to, I'd like as many as possible, I want you to meet some of the local pastors. So that's why Mike Jankowski is coming over to speak on, uh, on Tuesday night of this coming week. And Mike is doing a fantastic job in Center Mauritius in the Harbor Church. And they also have a campus in Patchogue that his son is looking after that's doing absolutely fantastic. And, and I want Mike to be here uh, because it's always great to hear others. And the other thing is I want you to meet him and I want him to, you know, be able to identify with the fact, hey, Mike, we're totally, we're totally alongside you, supportive of you, and we're blessed that you're part of sharing the good news in this part of Long Island. And I want you to meet him too. Because we're all in this together. You never make yourself any bigger by putting other people down. So Barnabas goes down and he actually encourages them. And then, here's what it says. It tells us there that then actually he sent word back to Jerusalem and said, uh, can you get Saul to come down here and help me? So now he's encouraging Saul to go on to the next stage of ministry and get involved. And, and then what happened was, was in Acts 13. They stayed there and they taught for a while. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And what happened was that was that Barnabas and Saul set out on, on, on missions trips and missions journeys, church planting. So here's Barnabas with his apprentice. That's in Acts 13 and verse 2. And then as their journey continues, Saul, whose name became Paul, it says this in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. I will not get to the fourth point. You were right. You won. But here's where, I, here's where I'll pull this in then. Here's where I'll pull this in. Acts 13 starts with God saying, I want Barnabas and Saul to go out and do a very special work. They're not long into it when the Bible is now referring to Paul, same person, Paul and his companions. Guess what? Barnabas was now just one of the bunch. But positive people don't look upon others as competitors. 
Saul actually became more and more prominent as Paul, and he became the person now who was the focus, and Barnabas wasn't the focus anymore, and guess what? That's okay so long as they get the job done, and where God wants us to be living is he wants us to be encouragers of others. He wants us to be the best cheerleaders for each other, and if it comes to the point where others are doing what we're doing better than we're doing, we're there now behind them, but we're still cheering them on. Because it's not about us. Not about us. Never has been, never will be. I shared with you uh, in, in the summer when I was uh, speaking uh, in the UK, Jill and I were over to a Bible college graduation. And I spoke at the graduation service on the Saturday afternoon. And the Sunday morning, I spoke at the chapel service, which was the last chapel service for students and faculty of the year. And I preached there. And, and as I was Getting ready to come up, the director introduced me with these words. Roger, we know you think you're young. <laughs> like, this isn't right. Roger, we know you're young. But to us, you're like a patriarch. And I got up and I said, I don't know if I've just been complimented or insulted, but <laughs> I've never been introduced that way. But actually... I thought about that statement. I was there with a bunch of people in their early 20s who were absolutely thoroughly zealous to go and serve God. And I've had the privilege of pastoring for over 48 years. So I guess there is a difference. And it reminded me that one of my main responsibilities where I'm at now is encouraging others, is seeing others developing more and more and more and seeing the people coming on who way may well one day take this church far further than I've been able to bring it with God's help. And that would be the plan in time. But my role is to encourage others not to be threatened by them. It isn't to keep others down in case they take my place. My job is to encourage every single person to flourish in the gifting they have so that ultimately God is glorified. We've all been let down in life. We've all been in places where we felt God let us down. But here's another all. Let's all ask God to help us to be positive people who encourage others. I'm just going to ask if we could pray for a moment as the band comes back.